0: There is a common experience among paranormal investigators, and that is, if you are lucky enough to notice a phenomenon, then it, in turn, may notice you noticing them. This is an ongoing theme in our world. There seems to be a psychical connection between our own consciousness and the phenomenon we often label as paranormal. I can tell you that, for myself at least, I had decades of interest in subjects like ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, the occult and consciousness studies. But until the last two years, I never imagined myself being in the situations I often read about or watched. It took one time, just one attempt of gaining evidence at a potentially haunted location for the proverbial it to notice me, and completely Rip a hole in my world. My belief structure was shattered. My understanding of reality called into question. My whole place in the world completely rocked. Yet the further down the rabbit hole I went, the more at home I felt. And different things kept noticing me, just as much as I noticed them. And while I'm paraphrasing, I still think it's appropriate here. When you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Tonight, we begin a series that will take a look at how the beginnings of such a journey differs from person to person, and how the moment of true initiation into this world behind the world is rarely how you'd expect it to be. Come with us for a conversation through the void. Welcome to XV <music> Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planus. Transmitting from the Black Lodge as always, I am your host, Flood, and I am very happy to be here, and I am very grateful that you're listening. So, how was everybody's week? Did you have anything wonderful or weird or wonderfully weird happen to you, especially since Imbolc? Pop on over to Twitter at XVplanus and let me know. Tell me of your own events of high strangeness as of late, if you would care to. So tonight, we begin a series of interviews with several people who have contributed to XV Planis' growth and development as a project and a community over the last year, as well as their involvement in the Sally House Expedition in December of last year. Now this is a subseries that from here on out we will refer to as Conversations Through the Void. Not only will this serve as kind of a prequel series before we get into our multi-part deep dive series on our experiences in Atchison, Kansas, and everything that happened afterwards, but you'll likely be hearing from these same individuals quite a bit more as the year progresses, so I figured now is as good a time as any to introduce them to you. Now, before we get to the meat and taters of tonight's show, a few things... Uh, You know, at this point, you can expect science nerd roundoffs uh, at the beginning of each show, but I gotta share this. So, for my fellow UFO enthusiasts, the Outer Banks of North Carolina are lighting up with sightings as of late. Truth is, the Outer Banks steadily produce reports of UFOs and UAPs, so while that's not exactly a newsflash, what is interesting is the rising frequency of sightings. From orange orbs to the now well-known Tic Tacs, we seem to be getting anywhere from two to five uh, reported sightings a week off the coast of North Carolina. And since it is so very close to where I live, you can bet on me being out there to hopefully experience them myself just as soon as it's warmer, of course. The EVP field team will likely be attempting some CE5 sessions out there this year, so stay tuned for that and we'll let you know if uh, we have any luck. Now, leaning further into the scientific side of sky-based anomalies, a team of astrophysicists in Australia have discovered something unusual in our universe that is unlike anything astronomers have seen before. While mapping radio waves, the team from the International Center for Radio Astronomy Research, or, uh, ICRAR, let's go with ICRAR, noted a giant burst of energy three times an hour. Now, to be specific, the source pulses for about a minute or so every 18 minutes and 18 seconds in an unusual periodicity that they say has not been previously observed. Spinning around in space, the strange object sends out a beam of radiation that crosses our line of sight, and for a minute in every 20, it is one of the brightest radio sources in the sky. Their findings, recently published in the journal Nature, Point to the source of the odd pulses as being something like a neutron star or a white dwarf maybe with a ultra powerful magnetic field and this object was appearing and disappearing over a few hours during the observations. And that was completely unexpected. It was kind of spooky for an astronomer because there's nothing known in the sky that does that, said Natasha Hurley-Walker with the Curtin University note of the ICA, uh, the ICRAR, the ICRAR. Dr. Hurley-Walker adds that the discovery is in our galactic backyard given that the object is roughly about 4,000 light years away. Now, the hopeful and imaginative side of me obviously wants to lean towards the idea of alien life, but this anomaly is likely, and I quote from uh, Dr. Huxley again, a type of slowly spinning neutron star that has been predicted to exist theoretically. Again, no ETs. But this is yet another example of what I was talking about last week, our evolving methods of space exploration and study. We are truly living in exciting times, so remember, when things here on the ground seem rough, look up. That's about it for uh, News from the Skies this week, and now, on to the strange brew of the evening. First up on this intimate series of high strangeness conversations, we have Jill Weaver. Jill was put into my orbit thanks to a great recommendation from a mutual friend, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. Let me tell you, if not for Jill's presence while we were at the Sally House... Oh, man. I have a feeling that the outcome would have been very, very different. Now, with over a decade of experience in the field, Jill has been involved in the full spectrum of paranormal investigations, ranging from ghost-encrypted hunting, UFO culture, and some things even stranger than that. So, please, welcome to the XV Planet Circle, Jill Weaver. Jill, thank you so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come onto the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Now you've, uh, you've been a paranormal investigator for a better part of 10 years now, right?
1: About 10, 12 years, like uh, formally, officially.
0: (laughs) Uh, Can I ask you what brought you to this? Like what, uh, what was it that, that pulled you into this world?
1: Well, I think like a lot of other people who get into the paranormal, it it was never just one thing. It was a lot of little things. It was just these little breadcrumbs that just kept getting dropped throughout my whole life. Um, I consider myself a very curiosity-driven person, and when you're curious, you start seeing and noticing these little breadcrumbs, and you start picking them up and looking at them and then following them, and they take you from one thing to another to another.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, fair enough. I can I can definitely agree to that. Um, now, before you uh, before you became the paranormal investigator that that you are now, correct me if I'm wrong. Like you were you were involved with MUFON for a while, right?
1: Yes, I've had a lot of a lot of different involvements <clears throat> uh, with MUFON. Um, I joined a local chapter, and then I ended up being a president of our local chapter. And then from there, I ended up becoming a chief investigator for MUFON, Indiana, and that led down a whole, you know, rabbit's warren of, of all kinds of really interesting um, observations and experiences.
0: So what are, what are some of the, um, so, all right, so re- regarding like, we do a lot of ghost hunts, so you went on. Uh, one with us, in fact, to the Sally house, uh, which out of, out of that spectrum, which one did you get started on? Uh, was, was it more on the UFO side or was it more on like the ghost hunts? And, it
1: was uh, more, it was more on the ghost hunt side. <clears throat> and, um, my, my chronological history is really kind of unusual. And usually when I tell people my, my various backgrounds, it kind of doesn't really like make sense, but it's, it's all been kind of, part of following that path. Um, I actually started out as a biologist. I have a four-year degree in biology. And I worked in a biochemical research, medical labs, all of that um, for about 20 years. And I was always kind of straddling both worlds, you know, reading all the spooky stories, having just like really weird, you know, experiences. And then contrasting that with, you know, what I did every day and in a scientific endeavor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then when I had my son, I ended up uh, leaving science. And my question was, well, you know, what do I want to do next? Where is my curiosity taking me? And my guiding philosophy has always sort of been, well, what would it feel like, or what would it be like if I did X? And so I started, uh, I thought, you know, I always wanted to go to Egypt. So I went to Egypt. Uh, I was in the Great Pyramid, and I, I had told you about this story. This is probably one of my most significant starting experiences that was both paranormal and also sort of metaphysical. Um, we had climbed up, and it is a climb. It's a 45-degree angle. It, it takes some work to get into the uh, the great chamber, the king's chamber. And so we did that, and it's very metaphysical experience and most people just exit the pyramid and my sister and I decided well you know we're here and we're exploring so there's a queen's chamber and the queen's chamber actually goes down and we were heading down and my sister was probably about 10 feet in front of me and you have to understand the size of this structure and and (laughs) in the slabs of basalt or granite or, or whatever the pyramid is comprised of. I mean, you were literally under, I don't even know how many tons of rock. You know, there's, there's no radio waves. Nothing is penetrating in, into those, there's cham- those chambers. They're actually in the heart of all the stone. And I heard someone, something whisper my name in my left ear. And it, that to me was like really earth-shaking. You know, there was no one else there. My sister was in front of me. There was no one else in, you know, in this whole uh, chamber, in this corridor. You know, I'm in a foreign country. Like, you know, very few people are speaking English around me. And then something spoke my name. And it, and it really shook me. And I, I told my sister, I said, you know, I just, you know, I'm kind of just done. We need to just kind of leave. And um, I don't even think I even really told her what happened. I don't even think I've ever told her, actually. She's she's a very skeptical person, and I don't want anybody to think that, you know, I was having some kind of a, you know, a cognitive event since I was um, so far from home. But that was something that was really pivotal to me. And, you know, and then, you know, it wasn't, and that was way before, like, ghost shows started, you know, so it's kind of just kind of exploring and, you know, thinking about this. And um, I started to get into uh, – a lot of more metaphysical um, alternative medicine and, and healing. I was starting to have some health issues, and I had pretty much exhausted a lot of what Western medicine had to offer. And, you know, I, I trained medical students. I'm very, very well aware of Western medicine and what it has to offer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I just said, well, you know, what if, what if I explore some of these other methodologies and um, I started doing like acupuncture and and, uh, hypnotherapy and things like that. And that ended up leading me to um, Reiki. I became attuned in Reiki and I started working with this, this unseen universal energy. So that kind of started changing things for me. It's like, you know, these are things that we can't see just like, you know you can't see the viruses that you're working with in the laboratory you know i work i did a lot of tissue culture did a lot of viral studies you know but we have methods we have equipment that we have developed so that we can see the the unseen and so that really kind of fascinated me too and then um when the ghost shows started coming out you know in the very first ghost shows you know ghost hunters Nobody had, like, scientific equipment they were using. They were just basically using whatever they had and just trying to, you know, trying to get some idea of what, you know, equipment you could look at and, you know, started seeing things, you know, in, in EMF right. and that. And then, you know, they started doing things with, you know, IR. And then as, as technology has kind of progressed, now people are doing a lot of stuff with, uh, you know, with ultraviolet.
0: Right, and, yeah.
1: And that. So, um, so I definitely started on the ghosty side. And then, as that developed, I started thinking. Well, you know, what else? What else is kind of out there that we're not like consciously aware of? You know, I started becoming more cognizant of intuition. Um, and uh, one of my friends said, "You know, we're we're thinking about you know, MUFON is kind of courting you know, coming into town, and they were trying to get they had like an organizational meeting." And so I went and I'm like, you know, this is really, this is really intriguing. And then soon after I joined MUFON, which is a whole crazy bag of all just kinds of people. I mean, there's some (laughs) legitimate people that are having legitimate experiences and don't know where to turn. And, and there's some crazy people too. And uh, so that was just really kind of an interesting psychological study. Um, And when I, I had started my own team. I had started with um, Everyday Paranormal, which was a team that was started by the Kling Brothers of Ghost Lab fame. They had a Mm -hmm. show, I think, for a couple of years. But I really loved their approach. They were a little bit more scientific. Um, They were always correlating, you know, what they were seeing and experiencing with what the instruments were telling them. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, and then I started my own team that was going to be a little more kind of it, it, sci- scientific minds. So we were trying to approach it with more of a scientific hypothesis kind of based view, you know, a little more critical thinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, type thing. And uh, and so then as I got into MoveOn and and started trying, you know, bringing some of the paranormal equipment that we were using. And noticing that, you know, you're actually getting paranormal events or being spawned by these, you know, by sightings. I mean, that, that's one of the first things that people started seeing mm-hmm. was that there was definitely a correlation. And then, uh, you know, the Hunt for Skinwalker Ranch, that book came out. And then, you know, the whole term of, you know, high strangeness was coined. And that's just what we started seeing is we just started seeing things that for lack of a better scientific word, everybody just threw their hands up and go, okay, we're just going to call this all high strangeness because we're not sure where it, where it fits in. And so, you know, I, I did a lot of investigations. Um, the timing was also very synchronicitous. It was, it was very strange. Um, I formed the group with MUFON that was in 2011. Yeah, I believe it was 2011 into 2012. And ironically or coincidentally, Uh, Indiana, that those two years were fourth in the nation in UFO sightings when you adjust for population. Really? So Indiana was undergoing this basically a a flap. It was pretty much statewide. So there were lots and lots of things to investigate. Um, I interviewed all kinds of incredibly credible people, very credible people. And uh, I always laugh because people say, well, you know, I want to see a UFO. And I would always say, well, then you ought to take up smoking because the majority of smokers are the ones that are having these UFO sightings, because yes, like you, (laughs) uh, you told me about your, um, your experiences, but it's, you know, just people are standing outside in the middle of the night, like looking at the sky. It's like, so we started running a lot of people that would have, um, what I later learned are just sort of coincidental sightings. Um, you can have some very coincidental things and then the majority of sightings and experiences I believe are actually very targeted. You're being, you're being chosen to see a certain thing. You're being chosen.
0: Yeah. I agree. To
1: experience, to experience something. So, you know, now I think the understanding is that all of those fields are merged. Um, I was interviewing an experienced woman that had this experience down in southern Indiana around Morgantown. And she said, "You know, it's really weird because I started that's weird <laughs> isn't like such a catchphrase. But I started saying to people like, you know, like, okay, you know, I'm with Mufon and you know, we're going to do this investigation and you know, I'd take their their story and then I'd always say, "So, have you seen anything else weird?" And usually people hesitate and then like more comes out because they're they're trying to just be very factual. And, you know, I saw the UFO and, it you know, yes, I was wearing my glasses and, you know, I was outside and I saw it a 45 degree angle up and, you know, and, you know, we, we ran the star charts and we know like what planets were visible, what stars were visible. We ran the weather, you know, all of those things. And so people will stick to the facts. But then when you start saying, Did you see anything else weird or have you had any dreams? That's another one. And then people mm. will kind of hesitate and then the, the all this stuff just comes out of people.
0: Yeah, floodgates just open.
1: You just you open the floodgates and I and I think a lot of investigators, they stay just really fact based. Um I worked with a lot of other field investigators and like to them, that's just when they would end the conversation, be like, okay, these are the facts, you know, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much for your report. You know, do you have any photos, anything you want to show me? And then they're, they're out the door. Mm -hmm. So my, (laughs) my very first case, um, you know, I had gone with one of the other um, experienced field investigators and, you know, we're, talking. And, you know, I, I prompted this guy and this whole story comes out. And I noticed that he, during the course of our conversation had chewed his thumbnail pretty much down to the quick. Mm. And, and when we got back out in the car, I said, you know, that's, that to me is a sign of somebody that really is experiencing some kind of, there's some kind of trauma. There's, there's more going on here than, than meets the eye. Right. And, um, and then, you know, and and then further, you know, I've met with him a couple other times and, you know, he said, my wife just wants this to stop. He said, you know, the doorbell just rings nonstop at three o'clock in the morning sometimes. And, you know, there's nobody out there. And, you know, so he was starting to experience like all this, this high strangeness. And, um, and actually it was his case that triggered one of the weirdest periods in my life. Um, which is why I ended up, uh, leaving MUFON and leaving some of the UFO studies. Um, my son was 10 at the time and he was way too young for the kind of weirdness that it started bringing into my life. Um, I had interviewed this gentleman and we were having our next, uh, MUFON meeting. You know, I was, I was the speaker. I was, you know, set to speak at it. And also coincidentally, um, I had gotten an interview with one, with a newspaper reporter and I don't even know how it turned out. I think cause I had turned in that, you know, we were just going to, you know, put a announcement in the paper that we were having our, our monthly meeting. So the newspaper remor- reporter meets with me and um, we always kept everyone's reports confidential. Right. And so I said, well, you know, my latest case, I said, you know, I can't take you to the guy's house, but you know, I took him probably about like a mile or two away to a, a public park and, you know, I was, you know, and I was pointing, I said, you know, he's seeing lights that are this direction. And I will tell you that's Camp Etterbury. Um, we have a huge National Guard base here in, in southern central Indiana. And I was kind of pointing you know, south. And so a lot of people thought, you know, is this coming out of, you know, Camp Etterbury and, you know, what, what the speculation was. And so, you know, the reporter took some pictures, you know, and I'm pointing and, you know, Camp Atterbury got mentioned. Well, so the morning of the MUFON meeting and my talk, I woke up and I had laryngitis. And I have now realized that when I can't speak, it literally, it's like something is intervening and it's like, no, you just need to sit this one out, girlfriend. And so I did, I sat it out. I did not go. And the reports that I got that day, later that afternoon, it was just crazy. Um, Apparently, it was like a free-for-all at the meeting. There were people showing up that wanted to know where that woman was, reference to me. Mm -hmm. They wanted to speak to me. Um, The state director was there, and um, and my ex was there, and he was like, it's just crazy. It's like people want to talk to Jill. They want to know who you were. He said, we've got these guys here. One guy's got his phone out. And he's like screaming in the phone, we got to shut these people down. They know too much. (laughs) And apparently at the end of the meeting, these gentlemen that had been acting very, they were very strangely dressed. They were behaving very strangely. They were walking in the room and the state director and uh, Roger, my ex, and his son were there. And they just turned their head for a moment and they turned back and these, this one gentleman in particular had literally disappeared. And they said, where did that guy go? And I was like, well, what guy? He's like, well, remember that guy, the really weird guy in the muscle t-shirt and they're like, no, I mean, we thought he would have walked past us to leave. It's like, well, he wasn't, he wasn't wearing a black suit, but he was acting extremely strange. Um, you know, and then I had white vans that were kind of parked in my cul-de-sac and I would hear weird clicking noises on my phone. Um, this all took place over several months. And the culmination of it was, um, I think I was on a ghost hunt and my son texted me and sent me a photo and he said, you know, I just went out flying with dad, um, cause his father is a, is a commercial airline pilot. Mm -hmm. And he said, I was just, um, I just went on the airplane on one of dad's trips. I think he was flying um, like some little corporate. And he said, we had this black sphere following us around. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I said, you know, did you tell your dad? He's like, no, because dad will think I'm crazy. And I said, well, it's kind of unfortunate you couldn't say something because I would want to know like, you know, your lat and long, like where were you? What was your altitude?
0: Right. And
1: things like that. And it's like, you know, when your son is showing you pictures of this UFO that is now following him around. And uh, I think it was in a couple of weeks later of that, too. Then he sent me another photo. He had been staying at his dad's. And he said, I just woke up and I looked down at my bare leg. And now I have like a handprint in red on my thigh. And, you know, and it, and it wasn't his dad. In fact, it was like the reversed of if you push on your, your skin, it was red. And the fingers were like four fingers and they were very long and thin. And there had been a bunch of other things going on. I was like, that's it. I am not having to do with UFOs. This is.
0: Yeah. Last straw.
1: That that was that was it. It was really scary. It's like, you know, now maybe my, you know, my son has grown. and might get, you know, kind of more back into the UFO side of it. Um, and I've and I had numerous sightings and that, but I mean, as far as like, you know, paranormal and ghosts, you know, maybe occasionally you'll, you'll pick up a little bit of kind of ick that'll follow you home for a day or two. And, you know, that kind of just, you know, wears off. But, um, no, I, I think there's something very significant, uh, when you start dealing with the idea of UFOs. Um, I think that, I think that there, there's something extraterrestrial, but I think there's also, some terrestrial players that are involved.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, I I and, can't agree more.
1: <laughs> you know, and, and that was the thing. It's, you know, you just, I mean, you see it in the paranormal world, but I really noticed that with um, when you get into the whole study of UFOs, it's it was never really clear to me what people's agendas were. And it seemed to me that a lot of people had agendas, but it wasn't always clear what they were. Um, You know, you would think that somebody was an investigator, you know, you'd see evidence that they were an investigator and, you know, they would set things up and then all of a sudden you'd be thrown under the bus. It's like all of a sudden they would do this 180 and they would be telling you things that were completely different than what they had said the week before. I mean, I was almost getting to the point where, okay, I'm not going to speak to anybody unless I have a recorder running because it's like I have to have proof because I'm, I'm losing my mind. It's like, you know, I'm taking notes, people are telling me these things. And then all of a sudden like something completely else is going on. So. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't need that in my life right now.
0: Yeah, uh, That's just, that's totally understandable. As, I mean, especially when you were essentially, even though, as you said earlier, they might not have been dressed in black, but those are like categorically, those were men in black experiences that, that you were describing, you know, like these extremely odd people that, uh, that show up around this stuff. I, I mean, I don't blame you. I mean, that would have sent me off the deep end. I wouldn't have been able to handle that. So kudos to you. <laughs> like, uh, uh-uh, that's, that's too much for me. But, um, So, so after move on, did, did, did you you like steer directly into like ghost hunting? Is, is that just where you went with it?
1: Yeah, I kind of, yeah, I just kind of pursued more of the, I've been doing a lot of the, a lot of the paranormal. Um, I had worked as a real estate agent and interestingly enough, that led to a lot of really crazy experiences. When you get in and out of a lot of houses, particularly houses that had sat empty I found several haunted houses. Um, I had a lot of really wonderful anecdotal stories that other agents would tell me. Um, you know, they'd find out they're, Oh, you're a ghost hunter. And, and almost everybody had a ghost story. They would always say, you know, like, don't quote me on this, but, but yeah, I had a house and I had a listing and, you know, I went in and the rocking chair just started rocking on its own or, you know, the banister moved on its own. There was one place, um, I had shown and I ended up going back and scheduling several showings because the place was so incredibly active. I'd get K2 hits and um, you know, all kinds of you know, errant knocks and bangs and the the way I found that house is I was showing it to a client and I had gotten there first and you do the whole thing where you, you know, you unlock the house, you turn all the lights on. And, you know, then when they pull up, you know, you're the happy smiling face going, you know, hello. And you open the door. Well, I was prepping the house and it was kind of cold that day. So I was kind of standing around in the foyer waiting for them to get there. And this is, it was an old uh, Queen Anne home. And I was like checking my phone or whatever. And I heard, footsteps, like come up the stairs and walk across this, this really wonderful, huge wood porch. And I hear the creaking of wood and footsteps. And so I grabbed the, you know, I go open the door and throw the door open to greet these people. And there was no one there. <laughs> huh. Okay. I've got another one here, but yeah, I'll just got all kinds of incredible like ghost stories. And, um, and so really, you know, pursued the, a lot of the ghost hunting, um, you know, a lot of paid venues, people, you know, pay to go on ghost hunts and it's, it's like a training ground. That's, you know, if you want to learn about ghosts, you have to go where, where they have been known to be sighted. So I was to be really in.
0: That's interesting to me because I, when I, whenever I finally decided to start doing this stuff myself, I, uh it, it, the first location that I ever went to just kind of ended up falling into my lap and I don't think anybody else had gone out there to try it. And I think that's what appealed to me the most because I, I think you and I have talked about this. I can't stand the ghost hunting shows. I, I absolutely loathe them. Um, the vast majority of them I consider to be just like really, really bad, uh, staged reality television for the most part. And, while the, the opportunity to explore haunted places like always appealed to me, it wasn't until I saw, um, you know what? I blame Hellier, uh, for, for where I'm at right now because they approach things very, very differently. And they, they showed us that, you know, you don't have to have, you know, all the big budget stuff in order to go out and do this. You just got to go out and do it. Mm. And so I, you know, I chose, I started looking into local uh, lore and, and ghost stories and things like that. And then I found out that the story about Edwards road and I'm like, I don't think anybody's done that. Let's just go check it out. And it was loud and I had never done anything like that before, but that whole experience just rung my bell. And from, from then on, I'm like, all right, I'm all in. Like, <laughs> I'm going to all of the places. Um, but that's, yeah, like,
1: awesome. but that's the phenomenon now it's, you know, everybody's got a YouTube channel and you can do everything low budget and, and you can do that. But, you know, when you sign a contract with like sci-fi channel, like, you know, ghost hunters originally did, it's like, now you got a production schedule. Now you've got somebody yeah. breathing down your neck. Now, you know, you've got to get advertising, you've got to get funding, you've got to do this. And, um, you know, like Grant Wilson, he actually actually told us one time, he said, like, I believe when they did um, the Stanley hotel, he said they were in their same clothes for nine days. It took nine nights of investigating to just get enough material to put that show together. And they had, you know, their shtick was that, you know, they were just there one night. So they were in their same clothes going through that. And so, yeah, once you get it, once you, you know, once you get a producer and you have all that, then the whole agenda is on something completely other than than having a legitimate ghost hunting experience or a legitimate paranormal experience. And I'm not saying that anybody, you know, is falsifying anything, but I know there's a lot of pressure to have something happen because 99% of ghost hunting is incredibly boring. You know, you're just living for that 1%. And if, you know, if you've got a show to make, you're really hoping that you get that 1%. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that it kept me so far away from it for so long is, is because of it just felt dishonest to me. Uh, A lot of it did. Uh, And it wasn't until like, you know, you and I, again, we've talked about this, uh, this for people like you and I, it's all about the personal experience. Um, I absolutely want to tell the world about it. And I want to, I want to tell the story, but I also want to tell everybody that, yeah, spent most of my night waiting, nothing happened. (laughs) And um, that's the reality of the situation. But the, uh, yeah, it's really all about the personal experience. And then once you have that, it becomes the driving force of why you continue to do it. Is is you you had this brief moment where you kind of saw something just a little bit behind the veil. And once you experience that, your whole world changes. You you, you want more of it to solve the mystery for yourself or make sense of it for yourself uh, not to make a buck.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's extremely addicting. It becomes extremely yeah. addicting. Um, and, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and cause I've kind of come full circle cause at first I'm like, well, I'm going to get proof. You know, I have, I had the DVR and we had all the cameras and, you know, we were bringing generators on some location so that, you know, we can run power. We can have our you know, run all the cameras, and the DVRs, and we're going to run cable. And, you know, so you know, pretty soon. I mean, like Ghost Adventures, I don't know if people realize, but like when Ghost Adventures, when they film, there is an entire semi that arrives with all of their equipment. So, yep. you know, yeah, they have their tent in that, but I mean, it, it's, it's a huge, it literally is this huge production.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, that was kind of like the, the thing that people started doing, you know, around, you know, 20, 12, 2013, 2014, everybody was going out and you'd have all the, you know, you get your DVR full of all this evidence and then you'd have to do evidence review for, you know, weeks after single investigation because everybody wanted to catch that piece of evidence that would prove the existence. And and I'm telling you, there's a a lot of incredible footage out there and you are never, ever going to prove really very much to a skeptic and you're never certainly ever going to prove anything to a debunker. Right, and yeah. people will twist themselves into logical pretzels as to why these things can't be real. Um, an example of that is uh, I had one team member, and, and he was an atheist. You know, which is which is fine, and I think you know he wanted to, you know, kind of get some answers about life. And it didn't take too many investigations until you know he saw a full bodied apparition, and his the whole way he dealt with it. Is he was madder than hell. He was, like, <laughs> so mad at me. And I'm like, dude, like, you wanted to go ghost hunting. You you saw, you know, you saw the holy grail. You saw a full-bodied apparition. And he was just really pissed about it. <laughs> so, like, you know, don't go in saying that you want to learn something because your your paradigm may get changed. I mean, it may totally rock your world.
0: Yeah. Or it could completely right, be destroy careful your what, life. Be
1: careful, yeah. Or destroy your life. So... Mm-hmm you know, be really be careful what you wish for, because you'll, you'll get it. If you go looking, you may find it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I got a quick question for you. Something you said a few minutes ago regarding like, you know, those, uh, larger productions where you have the whole semis of, of stuff coming on in, in the history of, of your experience, have you found that Having all of that, like the ridiculous amounts of equipment and for that matter, also turning that into larger groups of people, do you find that to be kind of disruptive as far as uh, the opportunity for an experience to happen?
1: Um, you can, you can still have experiences. Um, we had a very significant experience with a basement full of people. Um, I had done, I was doing meetup groups for a while and I had a group called Erie Indianapolis and we were taking people and, uh, we, there was a, I think it's, I think it's no longer in operation, but, um, there was this kind of biker bar in the Southern part of Indianapolis and the basement was haunted. And so we did our, um, a meetup group there. We had a basement full of people. We were, you know, running, um, recorders. We did a live stream of that event and we were saying, you know, basically I think we're kind of doing the dog and pony show. This is kind of just entertainment for all the people who came, you know, cause they, they ate and had drinks and, you know, we're, you know, taking part of this ghost hunt, <laughs> Um, We got some crazy stuff that happened. Absolutely crazy. And in some ways, like, the energy of the people in the bar, like, really kind of fed into the paranormal activity. Hmm. And um, we got some incredibly clear EVPs. Um, Two of my teammates at the time, they got featured in a My Ghost Story episode because of what happened. Um, So it doesn't necessarily preclude, you know, just having a lot of people. Um, so, you know, cause I think if, if something is going to happen, it, it, it will happen. It's just the chances are you have more noise to kind of sort through, you know, you have more voices. Um, I mean, there's some incredibly haunted places outside, but it's very difficult to hunt them if you want to be able to record EVPs. Right. Um, but I think, you know, the more equipment you have, you know, every time you're running a recorder, if you're running out for an hour, it's going to take you an hour to listen to that recording. If you're shooting, you know, 15 hours of video or eight hours of video, that's eight hours of you paying very close attention to go back through, you know, and, and watch your video. So, I mean, I think there's some people that can get some really good evidence, but like I said, I'm kind of at the point where I'm just, I have nothing to prove to anybody. And, you know, it's, it's really great to, you know, be able to go back and, you know, and see what you have captured, you know, that can enhance your experience. But, you know, if you're going to spend the next, you know, four weeks of your life going through all of this evidence, to me, that's just, it's just not what I'm into at this point.
0: Right. Well, uh, I can tell you that I am learning that lesson the hard way right now, as you already know, uh, from, from our last experience together, Mm -hmm. I'm still combing through all that. And, uh, we will definitely talk about that at a, a later date, but, um, what, what are some of the m- most significant experiences that you've had in your journey um, that you haven't mentioned yet?
1: Hmm. Um, <clears throat> there, you know, there's, there's been a lot. Um, and the, and the funny thing is, is like the more you do, you know, when, when everybody has like their they're like holy grail experience because I I have seen a, a full body apparition and you know going into it that that's what everybody wants like oh my gosh I can't wait until I see my first full body apparition it's it's sort of with a whimper not a bang um, and mm. that seems to be you know I think and maybe TV shows and maybe just even like just horror movies or or anything like that you know because I tell people I like ghost Hunt, and they're like oh well I could never do that because I don't like to be scared. And I don't get scared ghost hunting. You know, you just you have this experience and, and a lot of it is very cerebral and it's almost more of an intellectual experience than just like fear because you're still trying to make making sense of what happens. Um, so, yeah, I saw my full body apparition on the fifth floor, the, the roof area of Waverly Hills. And, you know, we had hunted very diligently all night. It was like in July. It was really hot. Um, the whole place was incredibly active. They had had some really strong thunderstorms come through. So the air was really ionized. You could feel it when you stepped in the door that night. And um, in fact, one of the the guides, he was really good. And he said, we're not going to the first floor right now. He said, it's just too dangerous. The building is just too, too charged. So we hunted we had, you know, got all kinds of EVPs. We heard all kinds of disembodied voices. We got, you know, smells of, I think like chlorine bleach was the thing that we had smelled. And, you know, it was been a really active night, but it's very emotionally draining. It's very physically draining. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to leave at four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, it had been a hot night. It was like 3 a.m. All the batteries, you know, all the equipment's depleted. You know, we were depleted. And I said, you know, let's just... Let's just you and I walk up to the roof. Let's just sit up there and if there's a nice breeze and just kind of like unwind and just kind of, you know, experience the vibe of this place. And as we were walking upstairs, we, we reached the, the fifth floor and we kind of looked left and we saw someone over there. And I was like, well, you know, I just kind of wanted to be alone up here on the roof. And I went about three more feet and this was with Roger. And Roger and I looked at each other and I said, what did you just see? And I said, because, you know, I thought at first it was one of our other teammates just sitting over there. He's like, well, you know, well, no, because, you know, ghost hunters always wear black. No, Nobody that was with us that night was wearing white. And the reason is, is you don't want to be able to see something white in the dark because you're, you're looking for apparitions, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're under IR light. And I said, okay, so no one that we're with tonight is wearing white. Okay. And that was an all white figure. Okay. We, we, we established that. And we also established that everyone else in our group is all still down in the, in the gift shop. They're all still in the cafeteria area. And so we, you just have this realization and we like went running back. And of course, you know, it was gone. And then it's like, okay, tell me again what you saw. And I'm like, okay, well the figure was sitting down. Okay. It was sitting down. It was fairly small. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she had a giant bow in her hair. And I was like, it was a little girl. It was a little girl. And that's where the children's play area was. So, you know, you tell people like, Oh, I saw a ghost. You know, it's not like you, you turn a corner, you immediately see something and you recognize it as a spirit. And then, you know, like you start screaming and you know, it, it's always this experience that just kind of creeps up on you. Um, and, and I've just seen that happen time and time again. You know, people experience something. A lot of times they don't say a word. People mm-hmm. will not say a word because they're, they're sort of, you know, processing it. Um, so, you know, when you do have an experience, it's, it's very profound, but it's not always in that moment. Sometimes it's, you know, it's minutes later, days, whatever, weeks um, you know, I, I will still talk to people and like weeks later, they'll say, well, you know, you know, I had this experience and I don't want to say anything. And yeah. people are still just processing it.
0: I think uh, I think that's the, the real human side of all this is we always have to do like double takes anytime anything like this happens. It's because like it can it can pass right in front of you clear as day, but your brain is really going to try to rewire itself to be like, no, that didn't happen. That totally didn't happen. Did that happen? Oh my God, that really happened. And uh, (laughs) at least that's been my experience. And especially on Brown Mountain, you know, like I said, I go back and I listen to that experience and I'm like, did that really happen that way? Mm -hmm. It did. But I I love that you uh, brought up Waverly because at the time that this uh, conversation is going to be being released, I think we're going to be about two weeks away from it. Uh, I'm really, really excited to go experience Waverly with you, and um, I am going to approach that one very, very differently from some of the the other places that I've gone to uh, to do hunts and and do my own research on. Um, you know, the last time you and I got together, I I had all sorts of uh, stuff with me and and all sorts of neat little toys and things like that, but I'm going bare bones minimum into to Waverly. I really am. Um, I mean, obviously I'm going to, you know, bring the full spectrum camera and, and a couple of handheld recording devices, but the rest of it's going to get left at home. I, um, I really want to take the opportunity to be still and quiet in that place. And, you know,
1: I think, I think still. it's a good approach. You know, what I always tell people is, you know, you are And I, and I think some other people have told me this too. Um, you already possess the best paranormal hunting equipment in the world. You have mm-hmm. eyes, you have ears, you know, you have your intuition and it's like, it, you know, where you're, you your sensory. Like to me, um, you know, you get goosebumps or you feel cold and it's like, so to me, you have to just really kind of be in your body and be in your, in your senses. And there's a real mindfulness that comes with, yeah. I think with, with ghost hunting. Um, we used to always say, well, you know, are you a quiet fisherman or a noisy fisherman? Now, some people like to just go and and be really quiet. And and I think there's definitely a time, you know, there's definitely a time for that. But then again, I've had really significant interactions, just going and being social, just sitting with, you know, a group of people, like a small group and just kind of quietly talking about life. And, you know, what the spirits that remain their consciousness, you know, whatever you want to call it they will chime in because they remember being alive. They remember what that was like. And, you know, you just sort of approach them as they are, which, you know, they're just, they're just people. They will, they will interact with you. And I think that's when you really have to bring, you have to really bring a lot of empathy and a lot of sympathy. And and I think a lot of respect when you're dealing with the dead.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree.
1: Hmm. So yeah, I, I love Waverly. You know, if you're going to go fishing, you want to go where the fish are, and there's definitely a lot of fish to be found <laughs> uh, in Waverly. There's there's you know the whole spectrum. There's um, you know there's the sad stories. There you know there's the children. There's a lot of people that um, were treated very poorly there. There are a lot of people that just you know it was just the nature of the illness that there's a lot of suffering there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there there is some real real dark kind of negative stuff there there's just some i kind of it's like the yuck of human emotion and human sickness i think that that remains
0: yeah yeah i mean yeah a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of death happen there um but there's also uh correct me if i'm wrong there's there's also there there's quite a handful of i guess you would refer to them as like positive spirits like they they enjoy the interaction and they like to be acknowledged and engaged.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of, lot of uh, child spirits there and yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it was, people think of it, yes, there was a lot of suffering and in that that went on, but a lot of people spent a lot of years there and they actually had a lot of happy memories there. Right. I mean, they made friends there, you know, the children played there. They had, you know, Christmas parties there. You know, it's, this was, it was a part of people's lives, just like anybody's life. You know, it's, it's composed of good and bad memories. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, you just have to kind of remind people of, you know, of the good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to make sure that I bring um, uh, a decent ball for the boy because there's that, that uh, one young boy who, who loves to play with balls. So I want to make sure that I, I bring a small.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of props there. There's a lot of stuff left. Yeah. Um, in the, I think, I believe that's in the nurse's quarters. Cause we got him to play ball with us, um, a few times. I think some of the really? other people that I was with, yeah, they, um, one of the guides, and the thing is, you know, if you, the guides are there, you know, the spirits get to know them. I think like the more you go there, the more you're around them. I think they kind of learn to recognize you. So there, there's a guide there that would, would, I would get really good experiences. Yeah. They played ball with a little boy. Um, You were talking about, you know, things that are kind of more unnerving, more unnerving to me. Things are like footsteps. Um, You know, when you're, when you're in a room and you are hearing heavy footsteps, you know, you're getting this auditory input, but you're, you're visually looking and there's nothing there that kind of starts to mess with you because you're getting that, that cognitive dissonance kind of of what you're seeing versus what you're hearing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That I think is a little bit more unnerving to me in a paranormal sense.
0: I can relate to that. Uh, we experienced that at Edwards road, actually the first place that I went and, um, we were out in the woods and we were hearing hard footsteps like boots on stairs. It made absolutely no sense. And to this day, when I go back and listen to the audio, it, it really creeps me out. I can't wrap my head around it.
1: So was there a physical structure <laughs> there at some point in time?
0: <clears throat> yes, there was. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it, it makes sense in that way, but being there in the moment or going back and listening to mm-hmm. it, they did my brain just short circuits. It's too much for me to process. Yeah, but it's, it's fascinating.
1: Oh yeah. Cause your, your brain, I mean, we're designed to, you know, that's how pareidolia works. You know, your brain is taking all this input and, and trying to categorize it and trying to make sense out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jill, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show and uh, we're, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute, but I, I do have one question for you regarding all of this stuff. So at this point, you've had experiences in the UFO world you've had experiences in uh, the, the paranormal and, and variety you pretty much touched on the full spectrum um, are you are you one to think uh, as as I am that all of this is connected
1: yes I, I think it is um, I don't I, I started to talk about the, the one uh, UFO case in Morgantown when I was interviewing this woman about her UFO experience, you know, and then I asked, you know, the, any, the, anything else weird. And she said, well, you know, it's kind of weird because the next morning, you know, after she heard the tops of trees snapping off in the woods and they had seen this cigar shaped object, people in town had reported that they were seeing cryptids. There was, a, at least one report of a Bigfoot that crossed one of the roads in the Morgan or in the, the forest area there in Morgantown. and you know, small town, everybody started kind of talking about it. So, yeah, out of this one report, we started investigating. And yes, there had also been a cigar-shaped object observed over one of the church camps in town. Uh, one of, you know, so-and-so's, you know, cousin's friend, you know, saw a Bigfoot cross the road, So what may seem like, you know, an isolated experience, you know, she only experienced hearing the tops of trees snap off at one o'clock in the morning, all this other stuff, you know, from other people's perspectives started to come out. So yes, I do believe that somehow all of it is related.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, So yeah. Again, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Uh, out of curiosity, where can uh, where can my people find you if they want to uh, uh, if they want to find out more about your adventures and and possibly get in touch okay. with you?
1: Well, um, I will be uh, I will be on Facebook as Jill Weaver, and if you want to reach out to me via email, I can be reached at thatoldwitch at gmail. And we'll have some links probably through your show. And
0: uh, yeah, I'll be sure to have. I all always of that
1: love. Sense. I always love hearing about people's experiences, and um, there's a real com, just a real camaraderie with you know people who have had experiences, and people always want to, you know, you talk about you know bringing your equipment. Well, yeah, because we got to have all of our friends listen to our EVPs, and we've got to show people our our photos. It's like this big, you know, show and tell. I think that's kind of the value of of having all the, you know, all the so-called evidence. Cause it, that's really all it is. It's, it's just a show and tell for us to show other people who already have, I think have kind of made that, that leap and just accepted that these things are true.
0: Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Like I, if somebody hands me their like a box full of their photos, I'm going to be like, cool, I'm going to grab a glass of wine. This is what I'm doing tonight. Let's, let's, let's do it all. <laughs> And
1: I just expanded my uh, cloud storage on my, on my phone so I can put even more <laughs> stuff up in the cloud so it can go with me and I can show people. So,
0: Oh good. Cause I mean the first night you and I hung out, we were trading stories and pictures pretty much until five in the morning. And that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Share it all with me. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping uh, in the future to um, start doing a semi-regular, um, either call in show or uh, have listeners pop onto the show and share their experiences. I think it would be really, really cool to, you know, open up the doors for people to come and and talk about what they've experienced and what they believe.
1: I I think that would be a great idea. Yeah. our, Our move fund meetings, you know, we, we started out, you know, having like kind of formal lectures, but I found out very quickly that people didn't want to do that. What they wanted to do was talk about what they had seen listen to what other people had seen and just kind of talk about like latest sightings that, you know, had happened around us or were in the news and, yeah. you know, and you kind of do a little bit of debunking about that too. I mean, there's not, everything is real. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that will fake stuff. And, and so I think it's our job to kind of call some of that out. Yeah. Yeah. Because Absolutely. that, that those, those episodes do tend to dilute other people's very legitimate experiences
0: yeah yeah absolutely i one hundred percent agree well my guest tonight has been jill weaver jill once again thank you so much for joining me um jill will be back on the show here before too long as we discuss the experiences that we had at the infamous sally house and i'm definitely looking forward to that one and uh jill will you're just going to end up being a regular contributor here. If I have anything to say about oh, That's
1: it. So, awesome. Thank you so welcome. much, Flood. Hey, thank you. Welcome to the family. <laughs> thank you. It's been fun.
0: All right. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Right. Bye-bye.
0: I'd like to sincerely thank Jill for coming on the show and sharing her experiences with us and also for joining us on the Sally House Expedition. You'll be hearing from her again once we start that series up in March. And also, more than likely, uh, you'll hear from her again after we tackle Waverly together in May. Before we wrap up, I'd like to take a moment to give a few shout-outs to some fellow podcasters, as is tradition. Now, most of these shows are of the nature that, you know, if you enjoy this, you will definitely enjoy theirs. First up... XV Planus extended family member Stevie has returned to the podcast realm for a conversation about spoon theory, amongst other things, with our favorite occultist, Lux Estrada on the Occult podcast. Stevie's initial visit here on EVP was extremely well-received, and so I will add a link to that episode in the show notes so y'all can find out what they've been up to. Next up, Unearthing Paranormalcy has become a favorite of mine in the last year. Check them out for highly entertaining deep dives into uh, hauntings, cryptids, UFOs, curses, mythology, stories of missing people. There's a lot of content there. And I gotta tell you, listening to this podcast makes me feel like I'm hanging out with my friends on a Friday night talking about all the weirdness that I and my tribe are so prone to do next up I want to tell you guys about the Woodlands show uh, written and directed by EK Manu and is an anthology style narrative podcast the debut episode Northern Lights is streaming everywhere and I cannot wait to see where this was going um, it's it's truly unique I, I seriously I cannot wait to see what EK is gonna do with this uh, great storyteller I was fascinated with that first episode. Um, If you find yourself on a... If you have a long commute and have a half hour to commit, I promise you it's it's excellent storytelling. I'd also like to take a moment to give a shout-out to Weird Web Radio, hosted by Lonnie Scott. Now, that one has definitely become a favorite of mine in recent months. Lonnie and his guests take a unique approach to the paranormal and occult worlds. Through intimate conversations, you'll get a very, very different angle to the strange subjects that we all know and love. And that is going to wrap it up for this week, my friends. Be sure to join me next week for a conversation with Trish Moe from The Missing Peace and Chasing Prophecy. If you like what we do here, please tell your friends, family, and any stranger at a bus stop who will listen to you rant on about ghosts and aliens. We are not a fancy-schmancy, big-budget production, so the only way that this will continue to grow for the time being is word of mouth. And while you're at it, if you are uh, if you use Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to go and rate and review us on their podcast app and iTunes. This podcast is produced in Durham, North Carolina, and was recorded, edited, and scored by yours truly. Original music from the series can be found under my musical moniker, Folds and Floods. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and everywhere else as XVPlanus. And you can follow my personal accounts and music at Folds and Floods. Click on the link tree in the show for quick access to all of the above. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just heard, visit www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. That's www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. Dot com. Once again, I am your host, Flood. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. Keep your hearts soft, your heads strong, and your spirits weird and wonderful. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll see you in the between.